You, you all have this, this happen at your homes. I, I know that you do. You're, you're sitting there in your easy chair, and you've just kind of got to settle down, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And what do you do? Well, you say, well, who's there? And you want to know who's standing outside your door. You know, you, now, obviously somebody who's up to no good is not going to announce, well, I'm a burglar. Could you open the door, please? I mean, you know, that's probably not going to happen. But, but if they, they say, well, it's just Uncle Fred from Cincinnati. You know, okay, great. I like Uncle Fred. We'll let him come in and we'll be excited to see him. You want to know their identification. You want to know who they are. The Bible begins and ends with an identification, with a direct statement of who God is. Uh, over the last several weeks, you'll remember we've been looking at the first three chapters of, of Genesis, where there's a very clear identification of who God is and who we are. You'll remember back in Genesis 1.1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the very first verse, the Bible identifies the one who made everything that is. The answer to that question, where did I come from? Well, God created you just as he created everything that is. There's an identification of this God that we worship, this one that we serve, this Lord that we sing about. He is the one who created all the earth. But the Bible doesn't stop there. Throughout the Bible, there is a clear identification of who God is going all the way to the book of Revelation, where again there is an identification made here in Revelations 22, verse 13, where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. From the beginning of Scripture all the way throughout and in the very end of the Scripture, there is no question. The Jesus born in Bethlehem is God. Now, what do these titles mean that are given here in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13? They're important to understand because the titles given here for Christ make a very clear claim for the identification of Christ. Using these titles would have been very, very familiar to the people of the New Testament era. And that's the idea. The, Christ is using these titles to leave absolutely no question to the claim that he's making. Let's take a look at these very quickly to, this morning. The Alpha and Omega. Most of you know that's the, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet, the, the most familiar alphabet of the, the New Testament world at that time. It, it was a statement that, that's similar to what we say. You know, we, we, we go into a store and we say, well, this store has everything from A to Z. Well, we're saying, well, they've got everything you could ever possibly want. They've got every. That's the description here. That Jesus is the beginning of everything that is. There is nothing that exists that is outside of his creation. He is making a direct identification all the way back to that statement in Genesis 1-1. The same God who in the beginning created. Well, it's the very same Jesus. He is that same God, the Alpha and the Omega. The second title, the first and the last. This is a similar description, but it describes how he is set apart 
from creation. No one existed before him. He was the first. Before everything else existed, Jesus was. And he will outlast all things. When everything has ceased to exist, Jesus still will be. He is the first and the last. Now here, no one else could make this claim except God. There is no one else who was before all things. There is no one else who will outlast all things, only God. And so when Jesus uses this title for himself, saying, I am the first and the last, he was making a clear identification that he is the one and only God. Then the final title, the beginning and the end, very similar, but that particular title would have been very, very familiar in the New Testament era. In that day, there would have been no question about what Jesus was saying with that phrase, beginning and end. Again, a very similar meaning that, that, that he was the start of all things. He is the end of all things. All things have their creation in him. He is before all things. He is after all things. Same kind of statement, but this statement, those words, beginning and the end, Every person in the New Testament world would have understood that he is claiming to be God. That statement was made by some other people. It was made by some of the emperors who would claim to be the beginning and the end. And, and when, when the emperors would make that claim, the people knew what they were saying. They, they knew that, well, he's saying he's a deity. He's saying he's a god. And, and you can imagine some of the whispers behind some of those, those emperors saying, well, he, who does he think he is, the beginning and the end? But they knew what he meant when he said it. And so there was no question when Jesus uses this phrase that he is making a clear identification of himself as God. Through all three of these titles, there is a crystal clear statement. Jesus saying, I am God. There are some iconic places in our world that when anyone sees them, even if they see them in a photograph, they know exactly what they are. The White House would be one. If you see a photograph of the White House, even if you've never been there yourself, you say, well, I know what that is. That's the White House. I recognize that. The Eiffel Tower. Even if you've never been to Paris, France. If you see a photograph of the Eiffel Tower, you, you, you recognize it. You say, well, well, that's the Eiffel Tower. I know what that is. Not Rushmore. Even if you've never traveled to, to be there yourself and see it, if you see a photograph of Mount Rushmore, you know exactly what it is. Immediately you recognize it. My daughter was, the first time she flew into New York City, she was uh, coming in uh, for a landing there at the airport, and she looked out her window and saw the Statue of Liberty. Right there. And immediately recognized. She'd never seen it before, but, but she knew exactly what it was. I imagine it was very similar for the first immigrants who, who came into New York Harbor and looked at, and, and saw the, the Statue of Liberty. They likely had never even seen a photograph, maybe a drawing, but many of them probably hadn't even seen that. But they knew exactly what it was when they saw it. Kind of hard to miss a 305-foot green lady right there in the middle of the harbor. But they knew what it was. They knew that's the Statue of Liberty welcoming us. To America. These titles that Jesus uses in this passage, they were so familiar in the New Testament era that there would be absolutely no question of anyone who read this or heard this of what Jesus was claiming with these titles. 
by saying he was the Alpha and Omega, by saying he was the first and the last, by saying he was the beginning and the end, he was making an absolute statement, I am God. Now that means something for us today. We have to confront the claims of Scripture. The real claims, not what some guy says on Twitter. We have to confront what the Bible really says, who the biblical Jesus truly is. There's no wiggle room around this. Now, you can ignore it. You can choose to reject it. But what you cannot do, you cannot say that the Bible does not make a clear identification of Jesus as God, because it does. There's no question that this book, from the beginning all the way to the end, says in no uncertain terms that this same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, he is one and the same with the God who created everything that is. There is a clear identification that the Bible makes in no uncertain terms. We have to deal with that. Now, you can come to the Bible and say, well, I, I don't believe that. You can come to the Bible and say, well, I'm not going to accept that. But if you're going to say that the Bible is a great book, a book of wonderful teachings, a, a, a good book that we should follow, if you're going to say that, then you're going to have to deal with what it actually says. And one of the things that it says in no uncertain terms is that this same Jesus is God. Now, you may ask, well, what's that got to do with Christmas? Well... As Christmas approaches, we're going to be singing a lot of songs. You know, this is a good season for songs. My, my wife and I traveled uh, to Texas uh, for a couple of days this week. Uh, and on, on that trip, my, my wife likes Christmas movies. So, so she watched nine Christmas movies on the way there. and, and, and Nine of them. And in every one of the, the, those movies, there are Christmas carols playing along, you know, all the way through the movie, all, all the way through. You walk in any store right now, any store you go to, they're going to be playing Christmas carols in the background. We're going to be singing Christmas carols right here in this place. We sang some this morning. What are we singing about? We sing some of these songs that are so familiar to us. A number of your families will be gathering together through this season. Some of your families will gather around the piano and you'll be singing some, some Christmas carols together. Nothing wrong with that. And those familiar songs bring a warm feeling, a, a feeling of togetherness. Nothing wrong with any of that. But in the midst of that, realize what you're singing about. God. The one true God, the God of the book of Genesis, who spoke the world into existence. That same God stepped into our world that first Christmas. He breathed the air we breathe. He saw the things that we see. The, the, the same clouds and sun that you will look at. He experienced all of that. He knew what it was like to have a friend. He knew what it was like to feel a mother's love. He knew what it was like to feel rejection. To have those who on the one hand should have accepted him to completely turn away from him. He knew what that felt like. He knows what you experience because he experienced it himself. 
And this same Jesus is God. And if you listen to the hymns of faith that we sing during this season, they proclaim that in such extraordinary fashion. So during this season, listen to the things that you sing. Like one of my favorite hymns, Hark the Herald Angel Sings. We sing that song a lot. You know, we all, most of us, we know it. We, we could just sing through it by memory, most of us. But think about what that's saying. That, that hymn was composed by a fellow named Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley composed hundreds of hymns uh, during his life. But this particular one sticks with us. The, the hymn recalls the voices of the angels as they announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. Charles Wesley kind of thought back, what would it have been like to be there that night out there just outside of Bethlehem, the angels watching their, their sheep, and all of a sudden the, the, the angels start proclaiming this extraordinary message to them. What would that have sounded like? Well, this was his, his kind of imagination of, of what that would have been like to have been there that day. And that song recounts the reason why Jesus came with these extraordinary words, mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Think about what that means. Jesus gave up all the glories of heaven so that we could experience all the glories of heaven. The third stanza of that Christmas carol proclaims this glorious truth. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Think about that. Only God could accomplish that. That's why Jesus came. Because only God could live the perfect life that we cannot live. Only God could provide the perfect sacrifice that we could not provide. And only God could conquer death itself, that which we cannot conquer. Only God could do that. And that's who we sing about, that this same God came into our world. If he is not the Alpha and Omega, if he's not the first and the last, if he's not the beginning and the end, he would not be the one the angels sing about. But if he is, then we with full heart can proclaim together light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Over this last year, we've been talking each week about Ways that we can take a step forward, that, that one thing, that what's your one, that, that thing that you can do that would move you one step forward in your walk with the Savior. And we, we've talked about a lot of things. Here, here's one that I challenge you to do. This, this season of the year, I guarantee you're, you're going to hear at least two dozen Christmas songs between now and next Sunday. At least. And some of them will just be silly and fun, and there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of them that you're going to hear are those traditional Christmas carols that, that we all, Joy to the World, Heart the Herald, Angels Thing, The First Noel, you know, all those that you, you know so well. And so often they're so familiar, we, they're just kind of background noise. We, we don't even really hear what they're saying. Don't do that. This week, stop for a minute. When, when you hear Joy to the World, 
playing. Stop for a minute and think, well, what does that really mean? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart. Oh, think about what they mean. When you hum along with the first Noel, think about what that means. That first Christmas when Jesus came into our world. So this week, that's the what's your one. And as you hear those songs, which I know you're going to hear, you can't get away from them. So instead of just griping, why do they play so many Christmas songs all the time? Stop for a minute and think, well, what does that really mean? That on that silent night, that holy night, the Savior was born. Heavenly Father, during this season of the year, don't let us miss the meaning. There's a lot of activity, a lot of, a lot of things that we do, a lot of family things and other things. Those are all great, Heavenly Father. A lot of decorations and, and fun things. And those are wonderful. There's nothing wrong with any of them because if we think about it, they all point us right back to you. So, so help us do that. Especially this week, Lord, as we hear some of the Christmas music that we'll be playing in the background as we're listening to the radio on the car, as we're walking through the stores or riding up and down in the elevator, we're going to be hearing some, some very familiar songs. So, Lord, help us to stop for a minute and really think about what that means. You came into our world. And for that, Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We give you glory this day. In Jesus' name, amen.